0: Clients, colleagues, and friends of the firm, welcome and thank you for joining us for today's uniquely Rockefeller special client event. Today's event is the 30th in our series and will be a conversation between Rockefeller Capital Management President and CEO, Greg Fleming, and CEO of UPS, Carol Tomei. If you're unable to stay with us for the duration of today's program, a replay will be available shortly after we conclude through our website, rcm.rocco.com and through the Rockefeller Client Insights podcast series, which can be found wherever you get your podcasts. With that, it's my pleasure as always to introduce Rockefeller Capital Management
1: President and CEO, Greg Fleming. Thank you very much, Tom, and good morning, uh, everybody. Clients of Rockefeller Capital Management, our colleagues uh, and other friends of Rockefeller Capital Management. And as uh, Tom said, uh, welcome to the 30th talk about time going by in our client series that we commenced way back in April of 2020 uh, when the pandemic began. It's my great pleasure uh, to have with uh, me today, Carol Tomei, who is the chief executive officer of UPS. She's the 12th CEO in the 113 year history of this company. Uh, In addition to, uh, before joining UPS, Carol serves as as executive vice president and Chief Financial Officer of Home Depot. She joined Home Depot in 1995 as Vice President and Treasurer. In addition to running one of the largest and most complex companies in the world, Carol also gives back in the community. She serves as a trustee or board member for Grady Hospital Foundation, the Atlanta Botanical Garden, Sovos Brands, Catalysts, and GIA Partners. She's also a member of the Committee of 200, the Buckhead Coalition, the Business Roundtable, and the Business Council. Carol's a native of of Jackson, Wyoming. She holds a bachelor's degree in communications from the University of Wyoming and a master's degree in finance from the University of Denver. Definitely began her life uh, out in the West. Uh, Carol, it's great to have you here with us today. Thanks again for joining us.
0: Well, Greg, thank you for inviting me to join you, and it's great to see you. Well, Carol, uh, the
1: the uh, you've had an incredible career already, and it's clearly ongoing. Um, I thought we'd start, because so many of our listeners are interested in this, uh, uh, talking about some of the major steps along the way, and then we'll get specifically into UPS. But um, let's talk a little bit about Carol Tomei up up to this point, given uh, the uh, the pathbreaking nature of so much of what you've done.
0: Well, as you mentioned, I'm a native of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. In fact, I was born in a log cabin hospital. And as a young girl, I never imagined I'd be running UPS. I can guarantee that. In fact, I thought I was gonna be a a community banker. My dad was a community banker and I worked for my father in the summers. And I envisioned that after I got out of college, I'd go back and work for the bank full-time and end up taking over the bank. Uh, But in my last year of graduate school, my dad called me and said, I've got some news. And I'm like, well, what's the news? And he said, well, after 27 years of marriage, I'm divorcing your mother. And I'm like, oh, that's awful news. And then he said, and I'm selling the bank. I'm like, you're selling the bank? What about me, right? So the career that I thought I was going to have went out out the door. But actually it was the best thing that happened to me professionally because it set me on a path to do some really cool things. I'm so blessed about the 40 year career that I've had uh, working um, through a number of different economic cycles, working through a number of really challenging business uh, uh, questions Equations, uh, working with a shareholder activists. I mean, I've had lots of really cool experiences over the years that I, I think actually trained me for this UPS job. But the UPS job actually wasn't on my my bucket list for sure. In fact, I had retired after almost 25 years of service to the Home Depot. I left, I, I retired. I, I went to my family farm in North Georgia with my husband Ramon when we were doing foundation work and I was on a number of corporate boards and I really thought my life was going to go that direction and then the UPS board was looking uh, for the CEO successor and put together a persona of the skills and experiences that the next CEO uh, should have. And when they match that persona up against the existing leadership team, who are a terrific group of leaders, but when they match that persona up against the existing leadership team, they're like, no one's quite ready, so we're going to go to the outside. And with that decision, then they came to me and said, hey, Carol, we'd love for you to think about uh, coming in as CEO. I had been on the UPS board for a number of years. And I'm like, me? You know, don't you think I'm too old? And they're like, no, we don't think you're too old. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me reflect on it. So, you know, I reflected on why would I leave retirement and come back into this role and you know I realized Greg that there are a number of things I really love to do. Uh, The first thing I love to do is develop people and we have 540,000 UPSers so I'm like wow I'd have a real opportunity to develop people if I if I came on board. The second thing I like to do candidly is create shareholder value and the the stock price here had been flat for about six years and I'm like you know what I think if I get into the company I can figure this out along with the team and we can get the share price moving and happy to say we were able to double the market happen a year. So we were able to get that done. And then I'm like, you know, it's a values-based business. And I I love living our values. I love doing the right thing for the world. And we can talk more about that if you want. But, you know, for example, we're delivering vaccines. You know, we're part of the movement to get the world healthier. So I'm like, there are lots of reasons why I, I would go back to work. But then I talked to my husband because this is not a, a, you know, one person decision. I talked to my husband now of 37 years. I'm like, Ramon, what do you think? And he's like, oh, Carol, would you please go back to work? You are driving me (laughs) crazy. So with that, with his endorsement, there you go. And it's been a real blessing and a pleasure to be part of this company.
1: Well, that's fantastic, and that's actually a fantastic story. You know, one of the things that I say, and, and we're going to get later to the types of dialogue you have with uh, with young people and the advice you give, but I have uh, three uh, children in their 20s, and and with them and their friends, I'm constantly saying the notion that you have it all mapped out, yeah. and this is going to happen, and then that's going to happen. Yes, at, at, you know, at a young age, m- many people think that way, but it's going to be a long and winding road, and that's how it is for Carol Tomey, who's running UPS, and other CEOs, and I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a different path than one could ever think about at the beginning or along the way. Uh, and it sounds like, um, I mean, the the different things that have happened to you from the notion that you were going to work uh, in a bank that your father had worked in, uh, you know, where you've gone here, been, uh, terrific that you took this because uh, you're having a great impact, and it's an opportunity for you to put another chapter in that career.
0: Well, thank you, and I couldn't agree with you more. Don't be too planful. That's my best advice to all young people. Don't be too planful because if you are, you miss out on an opportunity.
1: Yeah. Well, Carol, let's talk about um, the culture because you know when you when you gave me these numbers, and you know we're all familiar with UPS. We're all clients. Uh, I, I'm thank sure that we you. your, your clients are probably 95% of the people on the on the call, or or even 100. Uh, 540,000 employees. 200 companies you operate in and you deliver over five billion packages a year. So how do you create a a consistent culture across that and and, uh, and reach out to such a sprawling organization? Because, frankly, you may have the most complicated corporate structure and biggest of really almost any company uh, that's that's been built so far. So how do you do that?
0: Well, it certainly is a complicated company given our global reach and just the integrated network um, that we run around the world. And with so many people, it's a really fair question because it was one of my big concerns, especially coming in from the outside. Well, um, maybe I was an outside insider because I did have the board experience. I was the first CEO from the outside, and I was very worried about would, would the company reject me. But What I learned quickly is that this is a values based business. These values were instilled in our company by Jim Casey, our founder, 100. And now 14 years ago on Friday, we celebrate Founders Day. So we will be celebrating the the creation of of UPS in 1907 um, in Seattle, Washington, and we'll be living the values, talking about the values and For me, I I start and end our meetings by talking about our values. We have something called the policy book, which really brings the values to life, by the actions that we should be living. And we talk about that. We talk about that a lot. And as you can appreciate, when you employ the equivalent of a small city, sometimes not everyone lives our values. But when we find that, we deal with that person because the values really are the cornerstone of our culture. And our culture sets us apart from everyone else. I'm a big believer in what Peter Drucker said decades ago. He said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I believe that to be true. So it's walk the talk, live the values every day and do it as much belly to belly as you can. Now in COVID world, that's been a challenge as you can appreciate. I haven't been able to travel as much as I wanted, but thank goodness for Teams and Zoom and WebEx and all the fabulous technology that we can use to stay in touch. You know, yesterday morning, I had a 7 a.m. call with people in Asia, you know, talking about our culture, our our values and our company. So doing my best to try to keep that alive because it's super important.
1: I think you're doing a terrific job and I, I, I've always agreed with Drucker on that statement uh, that um, uh, culture eats a strategy every day and and what you do with your the team from putting it together and inspiring them is, is most important. Again, I, I can't imagine uh, the scale of 540,000 plus people in doing it, uh, but you know talk about walking the walk and talking the talk. One of the things that you told me is in order to understand some of the day-to-day jobs at UPS, you're out there trying them. So you delivered packages all day, not with the big sign saying I'm the CEO of, of UPS, but as a delivery, you know, somebody delivering packages. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how that went? And and you do have the intel, which I love, uh, around uh, going to the wrong house once. I would love everybody to hear that, because, uh, you know, you got a, a dose of what a lot of your employees uh, you know, have to have to deal with uh, uh, because the, the 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 wrong house delivery didn't know you were the CEO. So, can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, well, I'm I'm embarrassed to talk about that, but I'm happy to talk about that. <laughs> no, I, it really starts from my retail roots, where I used to put on an apron and work in a Home Depot store, and I would do that, you know, seven days a year. You know, I was in, but and I would walk the stores all the time, walk our warehouses, spend a lot of time talking to our customers and our employees. So when I got here, I'm like, all right, even in COVID world, we, you know, we we have safe work practices. I'm going to get out into our uh, operations. So I've walked our preload, I've walked our hubs, I've walked walked our sorting centers, I've walked our, our airport in Louisville, Kentucky, but I'm like, I gotta actually deliver packages. I really gotta understand what that experience is like. So the entire leadership team actually, we put on our brown uniforms and we paired up with a UPS driver and spent the entire day delivering packages. It was an unbelievable experience. First of all, the woman that I was driving with, she is a superstar. She knew all her customers by name and knew their kids and their dogs. And it was the personal belly to belly relationship that she had formed with her customers, which was pretty doggone cool. You know, I probably put in over five miles of walking, carrying packages, packages in some cases that were bigger than me. You know, you learn a lot about how to handle packages in a safe way uh, when you deliver. And it's, it's. It, I, I saw all kinds of opportunities actually for productivity improvement while I was out delivering packages. And that was a good thing too. And I saw how we were using technology and perhaps how we could simplify some of our technology through the use of more wearables than handheld devices. So that was a pretty cool experience. And then I understood what it was like when you mess up. So I had this, I was in a neighborhood where the street uh, numbers for the house numbers were on the street, on the curb. And I misread the placement of the house number on the curb. So I delivered the package to the wrong house. Luckily, the homeowner was There, So the homeowner came out, was very kind and said, I believe this package is for my next door neighbor. So I'm like, oh, 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 thank you so much. Let me, I'm so, thank you. Thank you. Let me get that delivered correctly. So as you can appreciate, I'm like, all right, now I know how it can happen. And that's, we don't want that. You know what the number one complaint is in our, in our company? Where's my package? So <laughs> you can see how you could easily misdeliver. Um, why, but that's why we are so laser focused on training. We have a wonderful training program for our drivers to help them, uh, under you know, learn not to to make the mistake that I made. Learn how to actually read house numbers on the curb and, and other things. It was a fabulous experience, and um, we're going to continue that. I think it's really important to get out in the field and not not get out with our corporate titles. In fact, when I go out, I don't take a list of things to do. I bring back a list of things that we can do here to make it easier for our UPSers to do the job. It's really about, you know, freeing up our UPSers. We should bear We should bear all the complexity of the business. We should bear all the complications of the business. We should fix that here through technology and free up our our UPSers to just take care of our customers.
1: I think that's fantastic. I think you're spot on, and and this is why they're lucky to have you leading the the, the company. Um, You know, and when you're, I mean, you talked about the the wrong address, but... um, you know, even at the right address, there might be different places to drop the package. You have five billion packages. How many of the five billion, Carol, go to homes?
0: Well, today, there's been a big change, as you can appreciate, um, Greg, because of COVID and a step change in e-commerce, particularly when people were sheltering in place. So today, about 60 percent of all of our deliveries go to residences. Um, that peaked is close to 70 percent during the height of COVID. And I don't think it's ever going to go back. I think that mix will probably be 60 percent residents. Forty percent uh, commercial deliveries, and, and, and that's why the, you know, know, I,
1: I go ahead. So, please. So, so that sorry to interrupt. But so you have basically three billion packages uh, a year are going to residences, and you talked about you know the neighbor helped you, but the the the, uh, the percentage that go to the right place on time is spectacular of the three billion. Right? It, 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 you you tell the the group yeah. the number, but it's a very high number that's you know every, where everything works of that three billion. Right?
0: yeah we we pride ourselves on service we think it is a competitive advantage over 97 percent of our packages are delivered on time to the right location and when it comes to vaccines that percentage rate increases to 99.9 percent if you compare our service levels to our competitors like oh the guys in purple in memphis or the uh guys in Seattle, I don't want to call them out by name, but, or even I'll even call it the post office. If you, uh, if you compare ourselves to our, our competitors, our service levels significantly outperform them. It matters to people. It really does.
1: Well, it's, I mean, you know, as you said, the, you have the individual experience of the package for the client. Every time the client's getting the package, they're waiting for their package and they're going to judge it on that experience. And if you have three billion of those experiences a year, uh, there's a lot of opportunity to have both happy and unhappy clients. Um,
0: With, without a doubt and you know I, again I think this might be my, my retail orientation, but what I discovered when I came here is we were really focused on the shipper experience and not the recipient experience. And I'm like, folks, we can't do that anymore. If 60% of our our shipments are going to homes, our customers are actually the recipient too. So we have a focus on what we call end-to-end customer experience and have created 16 customer journeys to make sure that end-to-end experience is the best it can possibly be. I think that's how we win at the end of the day. We don't just focus on the shipper, we focus on the end-to-end experience.
1: Well, I can tell you the Fleming household is a great client of UPS with all the things that come uh, to uh, to our house and, okay. and the, the drivers, are they do a fantastic job uh, and they always do it with, uh, you can just see the training and the the attitude of the professionalism. So, uh, uh, you know, bravo at least on, on that data point. Carol, you talked about technology and I was going to pursue this myself, but I got a question from one of uh, our um, uh, listeners on this, Adam Compton who said uh, UPS is a company that was historically uh, a logistics company how do you drive change to better compete against technology companies that have transformed logistics through superior use of technology and might have had the advantage of starting from a clean slate and frankly having fewer than 5 billion or you know uh, touch points with uh, with clients which is a huge number but how is technology and, th- and I know this is a big focus of yours how is technology uh, driving change at at UPS
0: yeah, no, it's such a fantastic question because when you're 114 years old, you got a lot of legacy systems. You know, we built systems on top of systems on top of systems, and most of what we, we use from a technology perspective were homegrown. We built it. We're moving away from that to more of a SaaS shop, so software as a service, we're now acquiring the capabilities that we need. Rather than building the capabilities, everything's moving to the cloud. We only have a handful of applications that run on mainframes. Believe it or not, so we're in a massive transformation right now. When I think that the future of our company, you know, the, what we've declared is we want to provide the best digital experience powered by our smart global logistics network. We've got the best network, um, but that experience is not is not best in class. And I can give you example. Our our um, our our Billing system, oh, terrible. It was horrible, horrible experience. And the competitors, especially startups had a much better experience. So we've replaced it, we've replaced it. We've stood up a new um, application Through a company called Paymentus, it's so much better. It's a global application. It's so much better. And now when I benchmark our experience against all of our competitors, we are best in class. So you're going to see us tilt in a major way from a technology perspective, because we have to. It's not an option. It's not an option. We we have to do it, which means there's a change in how we allocate capital. You know, before we were allocating capital into buildings and to planes. And oh, by the way, we're going to continue to add capacity. But when I think about how to best allocate capital, it's more in the experience you <laughs> Than it is in the physical assets. We've got to sweat our assets better, and we're doing that, I would say. And then we ex- invest in the experience going forward. You know, here's the thing you know, with the, the 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 calendar is not our friend. We've got to be working on a watch and not a calendar, because things are moving fast, as you know. I mean, it's crazy what's happening in the in the world around us. But that that's also kind of exciting because we're working on really cool things, which allows us to hire in the best and the brightest in our technology shop to, to help us deliver the experience that our customers want.
1: Well, you know, as you said, you, you are working on and cool things, and I want to uh, pursue the technology a little bit further in a second, but the, the the pandemic and the vaccine was a great example of that. I believe when, when the first vaccines rolled out uh, from whatever uh, uh, plant was making them, UPS was the one bringing the very first ones because it was covered in the news. Um, you know, and that's got to give employees at UPS, uh, you know, that's a morale boost for them as well. I mean, this is an enormously important function uh, and, and, and having it operate, uh, as you said, with the end to end experience being, uh, you know, a very positive one is, is, a, is, a, is a value to the, the society on an overall basis, too.
0: Yeah, no, we're so proud to be part of the vaccine movement. And if I can take you back a few months before the vaccines were authorized, we we knew as a company what we did, but we hadn't really declared why we did it. So we put together a cross-functional team to work on our purpose. And I'm I'm just so proud of the work that they did. This team um, interviewed customers and suppliers and retirees and UPSers, and you know, they did a great job of pulling together our purpose. And I'll, I'll, I'll share that with you. Our purpose is moving our world forward by delivering what matters. And you can unpack that in so many ways, but it, when you think about just the vaccine, you know, we're so, just so, it's just so, you know, it gets kind of gives us goosebumps actually to think about what we're doing. We have delivered over 500 million vaccines. And by the end of this year, we will have delivered a billion vaccines in I think nearly 100 countries. And it's complicated. If you want me to just tell you how it goes, I, I'll just take a minute or two to tell you how it works. It's so complicated. I love it's to hear so that. Complicated.
1: Like, yeah, th- yeah, this so, is, yeah, you know, this is at the core of- for everybody, so we'd all like yeah. to hear.
0: Well, so when Pfizer was given the initial authorization, uh, we were ready. Uh, we had, we've been in the a healthcare logistics business for about 15 years and we had invested in cold chain technologies, we were manufacturing dry ice, we were ready. So when they were authorized, we pulled up one of our feeder trucks, which is an 18-wheeler, one of those big 18-wheelers that you see on the highway. We pulled up a feeder truck to their manufacturing facility in in the Midwest and the vaccines were loaded off from the manufacturing facility into the feeder truck. That truck was driven to a local airport and the vaccines were taken off the feeder truck and put onto a UPS brown tail. That would be one of our aircraft. That UPS brown tail flew to Louisville, Kentucky, which is our major air hub. And the vaccines were then taken off the big brown tail and processed where special labels were put on the packages. These labels have batteries in them so that sensor technology, we will never lose that package. So they were processed with the special labels and the the dry ice and, and packaged appropriately. They were then put on feeder aircraft. These are smaller airplanes. The feeder aircraft flew to the destination city. Let's say Houston. When the feeder aircraft reached the destination city, the vaccines were taken off the feeder aircraft and put onto a brown package car, just like the package car that comes to your house. So there might have been an order for a Macy sweatshirt on that package car along with that vaccine, but the vaccine was delivered by the UPS driver to the dosing organization, being at a hospital or a nurse's office or wherever the dosing location uh, was. We do that in 20 hours every day at 99.9% effectiveness. It's pretty cool.
1: Very cool, and the pride you take taken that, and including in the statistic, is justifiably taken. That's a, uh, it's, and it's really amazing to hear that from start to finish, and the impact it had in, on so many lives. You know, Cal, that that re- brings back in, and again, UPS is is uh, is is such a, an interesting company because of the many different facets here: delivery, you know, manufacturing, but technology, and also airplanes. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the planes that you have, and and uh, you know, h- how you manage those and how that fits into the, the uh, you know, the overall delivery, uh, end-to-end delivery?
0: Yeah, so we've got a pretty big airline at UPS, nearly 600 aircraft owned and leased aircraft, ranging anywhere from those big 747 freighters that carry a lot of cargo across the ocean to MD-11s that are nearing end of life. Um and it's it's a very complicated network as you can appreciate because we are flying aircraft around the world all centered from our what we call Worldport which is our major air hub in Louisville Kentucky because it is an integrated network we drive more productivity than anybody on the planet. So even though there are lots of up-and-comers who want a little piece of our pie, they don't have the integrated network that we do that allows us to to just run the, the world's commerce. You know, we deliver about 2% of the world's GDP every day. So this integrated network allows us to do that. And if you ever get to Louisville, I'd be happy to give you a tour because it's pretty, pretty, pretty awe-inspiring how the men and women run this uh, airport on a daily basis, keeping us on time.
1: Oh, I'd love to see that. Uh, and it is amazing. When you said 600 aircraft, I, I knew it was a lot. I didn't know it was 600. You know, Carol, that gets us to the two, you're operating in 200 countries. Um, you know, how does the global piece fit on top of this? And and relatedly, how do you organize your team and the company to be able to run, you know, a business that's this big, uh, you know, that dispersed, 200 countries with this many facets of it, world-class technology, 600 airplanes, you know, 5 billion packages. How are you organized to go after that? But let's start with first the 200 countries. How does that work in, in terms of, um, uh, you know, are, is, is every, do you run on a regional basis? Is every country different? Uh, uh, are, is it gonna be 300 countries at some point?
0: Well, I, I would say international growth is an is an opportunity for us. We are underpenetrated in most of the markets that we serve outside of the United States, believe it or not. In fact, if you look at the integrators and integrators would be DHL, FedEx and UPS, we're number three outside of the United States. But not for long. We're closing in on ed- FedEx. So we don't want to be number three at anything that we do. So we've got opportunities. Our biggest footprint outside the United States is in Europe. Um, but we're underpenetrated there. Then I look at Asia, and I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious, we've got opportunities there. Um, and we've got some initiatives underway, not ready for prime time, but we've got some initiatives underway that I'm very excited about. We opened up a lane to Vietnam last year, which is really, really you know, impactful. And we've got opportunities in India and, and Australia as well. Then I come back to, closer to the United States. United States, oh my gosh, opportunities in Mexico and Central and Southern America. So um, expect us to grow in a major way outside the United States. Um, It's a very different model than the model that we run inside of the United States. Um, For most of the areas of the world, it's asset light, meaning that we use outside service providers for delivery. We we may have a brown facility where we sort, we may not. So the operating... um, financial performance of our business outside the United States is extraordinarily um, attractive. In fact, the operating margin of our international business is north of 20%. So it's a high, very profitable, high returning uh, business model that we want to grow. Now we run it um, under, uh, we have three operating segments in our company. We have our US small package business, we have our international business, and then we have a supply chain solutions business. Supply chain solutions would be things like freight forwarding and ocean forwarding and some warehousing, that sort of thing. And across all of those segments, if you will, is our healthcare logistics business that runs across. We do have business leaders for each of those three um, segments and they then are supported by regional uh, leaders you know, this business is a local business, so you really can't try to run it centrally. You got It's gotta be run locally because every country is different, of course. Every state is different. Um, I'm Boy, this company is governed by a lot of rules and regulations, I must say. I've Had to go to school on all those rules and regulations that are governing us. Um, we then have functions that go across. So our sales and marketing teams support all three um our finance teams support all three our hr teams support all three our legal teams support all three so it is the ultimate matrixed organization for sure but it seems to work
1: well it's definitely working and, and i i i thought you'd be going there because it, given the scale in 200 countries there there's going to need to be you know a, a matrix uh, component to it um carol there's a couple of interesting questions that have come in that are on the on the that are related but slightly. Uh, expanding some of the dialogue we've talked about. Um, Keith Bernard uh, says, uh, can you please talk about drone technology delivery and competitions from customers? And then there's the word that I'm sure you do talk about there, Amazon.
0: So first on drones, uh, we were the first company to have a uh, certified drone airline by the FAA. We call it UPS Flight Forward. And we do deliver product via drones today. For example, if you are familiar with the villages in Florida, we deliver CBS for CBS into the villages in in Florida. I would say it's something that we want to stay current on. We've had some real interesting drone deliveries outside of the United States. For example, we delivered uh, vaccines in Rwanda using drone technology. So it's something that we want to stay current on, but there's so many uh, regulations still to be dealt with. It isn't something that we're betting on the future. We'll stay current on it, but we're not betting on drone technology for the future, at least today. We are very interested in alternate uh, vehicles, though, and did make a commitment to buy 10 e-balls that's electric vertical and takeoff landing aircraft. These are aircraft that can carry cargoes. So think about a drone. A drone can't carry cargoes, but these electric aircraft can. They can carry about 1,400 pounds of cargo. So think about as a replacement for a feeder aircraft. Uh, We bought 10 initial uh, EVOLs from a company called Beta Technologies. We will take our first delivery of those aircraft in 2024. So what what I know about the world is gonna continue to change and we'll need to change with it, but right now I wouldn't say that drone technology is is going to lead us into the future. I'm more excited about the uh, battery powered aircraft on uh, and, Amazon. And, uh, Carol, just on the please. on the
1: before we go to Amazon on the on the Evolve, that's without a pilot. Then that's a that's a machine that's going to ah uh, uh,
0: no, there's a pilot in that. There's plane. a pilot.
1: Okay, so this there's is a still a version of a, It's a version of of the kind of uh, delivery you've used in the past. Okay.
0: Yeah, very cool. You know, the the idea of autonomous uh, airplanes—I'm sure it's going to happen. Uh, we have pilots of autonomous vehicles all over our company. It's pretty interesting. Um, it's pretty interesting how that technology is evolving. Uh, we're actually delivering some packages in the in the uh, southeast, southwest. Pardon me, uh, with autonomous vehicles. Pretty cool.
1: That's neat. So, uh, so can we talk about Amazon? Who, who? Sure. I mean, they might be one of your, I'm sure, uh, not one that's it, uh, the biggest client, uh, uh, given the percentage of packages that, from Amazon that show up in my house. Uh, so um, will they try to horizontally or vertically integrate backwards using some form of technology uh, and, and, and be more of a competitor over time or, you know, how, how, how does that look?
0: So um, Amazon is an important customer to to uh, UPS. In fact, they are our largest customer. We disclose that publicly. Um, we are part of Amazon's supply chain. We are not the supply chain for Amazon. Much like many other retailers, they have a supply chain that they've built out themselves. Well, I came from a retailer, Home Depot has a supply chain that they built out themselves. And yet Home Depot is an important customer to UPS. So what's happening in the world of small package delivery is that for the large retailers, they're gonna have third parties like UPS support part of their delivery, but they're also gonna be delivering themselves too. And that's okay, because what we have to understand is not all packages are created equal. Some packages are much more attractive than others. We wanna lean into the parts of the market that are more attractive to us for the customer segments that value our end-to-end network. And one of those segments that we're leaning into is the small and medium-sized business segment. And I'm just um, really pleased with what I'm seeing in that regard. When I joined the company, now, gosh, Fifteen months ago or so, I'm like, you know, why why aren't we growing SMBs? What, what's what's up with that? Why aren't we growing? And I was told we aren't, we don't have the fastest um, time in transit. I'm like, we don't have the fastest time in transit. Well, what would it take to have the fastest time in transit? Well, it would take a little bit of money. I'm like, well, we've got money. Let's spend <laughs> it. So we so so we we had a plan to improve our time in transit. It was scheduled to deliver in June of this year. We pulled it forward and delivered in October of last year, and we started to grow our SMB business. And I'll just make that real for you. At the end of the second quarter, our SMB business in the United States made up about 27% of our total revenue. A year ago, it was only about 21%. So we're moving the needle into this segment that really values our end-to-end network.
1: You know, Carol, you've mentioned that several times, just to put a, a, a you know, a cap on that, this integrated end-to-end network, uh, whether it's with planes that that you own or lease or uh, it's an asset light model, but that network uh, with world-class technology and some of the other things you talked about, but it sounds like you point to that and say this is, this is what really makes us, this and culture are the things that make us unique.
0: Yeah, uh, all you have to do is look at the operating margin comparison between us, our competitors, and we're more profitable than anybody else, and there's a reason for that. It's because of the network. We can we, we can pick up mixed loads and then sort it and get the packages delivered to their destination while the competitors can't do that. Now, you may say, well, couldn't they? Well, yes, they'd have to invest a lot of capital to, to, to do that, so we our, our job is to stay ahead and stay ahead. We've got the network, and it's smart. Now we got to stay ahead by investing in the experience. And if you do both of those things, you should be able to win. And if you and, and if you actually niche out the customers that you want to serve, you know, I, I again, my my career taught me lots, lots, and lots of lessons over the years. I can remember at Home Depot, we used to install roofs. Makes sense, right? Shouldn't Home Depot install roofs? Yeah, you would think so. Oh my gosh, they never made them, never made a dime on it. Never, ever, ever made any money on that. So I'm like, get out of it. Get out of that business. They're like, we can't lose the th- revenue. I'm like, we'll make we'll be more profitable. And so we exited that business. It was the best thing they ever did. So there are certain businesses here we're gonna exit too because just can't make a buck. It's okay. Because if you redeploy your resources to where you can, then you can win.
1: That's fantastic. I mean, and, and if you start with the competitive strengths, like we're talking about here of UPS, including the the unmatched scale and the fact that you're ahead now and you're doing that smart return on capital calculation and transforming the company uh, back, you know, to something I've said uh, now uh, more than once, they're lucky to have you in charge, Carol. That the um, uh, uh, question from Jack Ryan uh, on culture, which is interesting, and I hadn't heard this anecdote, Jack says uh, one great definition of culture is what your team does when no one is watching. I've told my kids that one great uh, uh, definition of integrity is that. Last week, one of your team jumped out of his truck and gave his subway sandwich to a homeless person and then jumped back in his truck. He didn't know anyone was watching. I'm sure that isn't in the training manual operating at such scale. How do you reinforce your core values across so many associates? You've talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to ask Jack's question because A, it's a heck of an anecdote. B, were you aware of it and did that kind of ripple across UPS?
0: So, well, first, Jack, thank you for sharing that story. I hadn't heard that story um, and I'm I'm thrilled to hear it. Um, this is just an example of the incredible men and women who work for our company, stories like that are shared day in and day out. Now, when I learn about them, I personally write a letter to the individual and send, we, we recognize people with the challenge coin. It's it's sort of a militaristic recognition, but we have challenge coins that we we give our people. so i I personally um, salute the men and women that I am aware of. So um it doesn't sound like you have that driver's name, but if you took a picture of his car, I can find him. So we'd love to celebrate um, that that individual. but that that part celebration is part of it. Taking time. To recognize our, our people. On Founders Day, which is Friday, I'll be out in two locations that nobody goes to. Because you know, typically the CEOs go to the big fancy places, right? I'm not going to the big fancy places. I'm going to the small, nobody goes to place. And I'm taking donuts and we're gonna celebrate. You know, we're gonna celebrate the hard work and effort. And and that's how you that's I think how you keep the the culture going. Um, yeah, you know that's my job right it's I'm, i need to be a culture ambassador it's my job
1: a hundred percent i mean uh we have 800 people at rockefeller and i feel the same way uh all the time i mean uh the the trick is attracting motivating and retaining great people and if you do that yeah. you have a differentiated firm uh and you're doing it on this tremendous scale uh carol as as um as the pandemic moves forward and hopefully um the part that re, uh, restrains people, uh, is, is behind us at some point, but, you know, you've been in this, we've all been in this pandemic and you have 540,000 employees. How have you managed that, you know, during the pandemic? And, um, you know, how are you managing as we start to hopefully come out of it, vaccinations and who goes to the office? And, uh, cause again, we're all grappling with this, but, uh, you know, um, the the scale of UPS makes it, uh, like everything else, uh, probably uh, qu- quite the challenge for you. So uh, h- how's that working, trying to pull UPS back to – what's the back to, first of all? Is it back to where we were? Is it some version of it? Is it, you know, so just talk a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So, Greg, as you can appreciate, most of our employees have been going to the office every day. They've been putting on their uniforms and sorting and delivering packages. Um, If I think about our office workers, that's a small subset of of our workforce. Most people have been going to work. And we've um, changed our operating procedures to keep our people as safe as we can, of course, supplied them with PPE, um, and I think have done a pretty good job of keeping our, our our people safe. We're not immune to COVID, nobody is. But when I look at the COVID-related cases that have been reported at UPS, way, way under the national and worldwide averages. So we'll continue to keep those safe practices in place for those men and women who are going out every day to, to take care of our customers. For the office workers, the majority of the office workers have been working remotely. I mean, I've been here every day. My leadership team has been here every day, but our headquarters is in Atlanta, Georgia. And I have to tell you, it's a bit like ghost town. There are not many people here, but we are returning to work in the office. We're returning to work after Labor Day. Even though the Delta variant is quite scary, um, we've decided that we're returning to work after Labor Day. Um, we are returning to work in a flex work environment because we've learned that we don't have to all be here to get the work done. We've had some really great learnings over the past 18 months now. So. Um, some people whose job requires them to be here full time, like if you're a security guard, you're gonna have to be here, but most people won't. So it'll be flex work, um, varies by job. And for office workers, we are requiring vaccinations. You know, if you deliver vaccinations, I think you better require that your your team be vaccinated too. So we're doing that.
1: That sounds like a smart uh, plan. Uh, the elements of which we we have at Rockefeller and, and um, so many in the corporate world are are, uh, are implementing. Um, you know, one of the things I talk about all the time is the importance of, uh, of physical interaction. And, you know, I'm in the hallway and I bump into somebody and that actually matters for what we're doing for clients and uh, for what we're trying to accomplish at the firm. So that's important, but you also have to keep people safe. You've got to take advantage of these tools and of the fact that the world's moving forward. You know, and if you go out and you talk to uh, uh, young people, uh, you know, in their 20s, uh, they're expecting a very different life from a corporate office standpoint than I had and you've had and, and certainly the generation before us. So trying to uh, to balance all that, which it sounds like uh, you're doing uh, uh, across even the large UPS is uh, is the key. Carol, I, we've got some more UPS questions, but I want to make sure we get enough about Carol Tomei because it is a, an incredible uh, career that you've had. Um, and so i'm going to pivot to a, a a little bit more on you personally and then we can come back at the end but your your personal background is is an american story um about uh the the the, the progress uh around progress and and uh that's taken you to one of the biggest leadership jobs in in the world um can you talk a little bit about your your grandmother, uh, who was? And I I'm not, I want I want to make sure I get the phrase right, but I, I think I got this from you. A wagon train homesteader.
0: Thank you for the the question. When I was named CEO, I I I I'm like, wow. You know, I'm the first woman CEO of UPS, the first woman CEO in the transportation and logistics industry, one of six women CEO in the Fortune 50, and I hadn't really thought so much about my gender until I, I until that. And then as I was thinking about that, I'm like, wow, Carol, think about where you came from. You know, we just last week, my family and I celebrated um, my mother's memorial. She passed away in September of, of 20. And we, because of COVID, we didn't have her service until last week. And we were reflecting on her life. And she was raised, her dad died when she was just a toddler. Um, and she was born in 1931. And she was raised by her mother, her grandmother, and her aunt. And these women were three amazing women. They were strong, they were compassionate, they were bold. And my my grand my great grandmother, actually, I knew her. Uh, she came across the country in a wagon train and homesteaded in Wyoming. And if you know Wyoming at all, you know it's high plains. It's 7,000 feet above sea level and the wind blows and it snows and it's, it's, it's tough. And to think about four generations later from a wagon train to now leading one of the largest uh, companies in the world. It's just, it's pretty cool. You know, sometimes we think that women haven't come that far. I'm like, we've come a long way in four generations. I think that's pretty doggone cool.
1: Uh, Oh, that's fantastic story. Uh, And, and you've and it's, it's, as you said, you went through the, the metrics that are unique, uh, 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 too unique still, uh, but there's a lot of progress when, with, with some of the metrics you just talked about that with you as this, the CEO um but uh, on a on a day-to-day basis do you get a lot of uh, requests now for for speaking and for acknowledging and pointing out uh the the role uh that you have as a path-breaking woman we have on on our board at rockefeller uh two uh, very successful uh ceos um uh, andrea jung and um, shelly lazarus who were ceos in the n- 90s and the first part of uh of, of this uh, uh century the first decade of this century. Um, and they, you know, they they can run through what it was like because the numbers were even smaller then. So what what is it what is it like day to day for you? I mean, you got to run the company, but you you get a fair amount of attention around this, and and justifiably so, I would guess.
0: Well, I long for the day where women are no longer a special interest group. I really long for that day, and I'm hoping that I see that um, in my lifetime. I I, I really do. But um, we are. Um, I won't want to be a g- good. Female CEO. I just want to be a, a great CEO. And I really am focused on, on that, and not so much the gender stuff, just being the, a, the best CEO that I can be. Now, that being said, doesn't mean that I'm not committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion. In fact, I named a senior executive of our company a direct report to me as the, the head of diversity, equity, and inclusion for our company, and we made it a strategic imperative. It's super important because the more diverse, the more um, inclusive you are, the better results you produce. Also, done some major change out of our board. We had a number of board members who were retiring or leaving for personal uh, reasons, and we were able to change up the composition of our board. We now have six women on our board. We have three African-American men on our board, and it's a younger board <laughs> that helps a lot too, especially when you think about technology. So I'm 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 very committed to you know an equitable, diverse world, but just don't want to spend too much time talking about me as a as a gal.
1: That's fantastic. In part, uh, I mean, a good part of the success that you've enjoyed over the course of your career is focusing on exactly what you just described, which is making sure you're successful in what you do. Um, Carol, you, you mentioned to me uh, there are a couple of guiding principles that you've looked to throughout your life. Can you talk a little bit about those for the listeners? I thought those
0: were terrific. Yeah, you know, my favorite quote comes from the poet Maya Angelou. She said, Don't make money your 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 goal. Instead, do what you love and do it so well that people can't take their eyes off of you. I just love that, and you know, I share that with everybody because I just think it's how you can live a happier life, right, <laughs> if you're just doing what you love and you do it so well that people can't take their eyes off of you. And then the other is really what I learned from the Home Depot founders, Bernie Marcus and Arthur Blank and Ken Langone, um, amazing, iconic business leaders, and that's really the the power of servant leadership. You know, I'm a, I've got great faith, and but I didn't really understand the power of servant leadership until I learned it from them. And that's really their concept of the inverted uh, pyramid management pyramid where leaders are at the bottom of the pyramid. We're at the bottom of the pyramid because we bear the weight for the actions that we take and the decisions that we make. We bear that weight to free up our people to, to take care of themselves and take care of their customers. And I'm a big, big believer in that.
1: Cle- clearly, uh, I, among those founders I know, uh, Ken, uh, and as you know, he's uh, uh, adamant and constantly focused on, you know, how people are treated, particularly people who might be, you know, more junior or, or closer to, uh, you know, the bottom of that uh, pyramid. He even at this point in life is is constantly focused on that. Yes. Uh, well, I think, you know, you've taken those, uh, those lessons to heart. Um, Carol, what about young people? Uh, advice that you give today uh, you know, is it different from what you might have said 18 months ago now that we've, you know, we've seen a pandemic and things have changed? Uh, what what kind of advice do you give young people who look to you uh, as a great CEO uh, and, and and having had an amazing career?
0: Well, here's the interesting thing, and I'm sure this is true for you, Greg. Um, so many young people um, are mentors to me because they're just so contemporary when it comes to technology. You know, I, I used to um, code and Cobalt and basic. I mean, those languages are like <laughs> dinosaurs, right? So, you know, it's it's getting um reverse mentoring is really, really powerful from the young people that I, I work with. And it's a lot about um my advice to them is for them to bring their real genuine authentic self to work every day. Is there still too much? Do I, you know, especially in large companies, do I need to conform? Do I need to assimilate? And I'm like, just bring your real genuine, authentic self to work every day, you know, find a way to make your own path, to let your superpowers shine. So people get to know your superpowers and, and good things will come your way.
1: Wow, uh, it's a great philosophy. I mean, I would say in, in, in interviewing you here, uh, I can see why the uh, the UPS board called you. Uh, no question, uh, and and the company is uh, is is in great hands. I did promise I would circle back after a little about yourself on uh, on some of the questions that came in and on the uh, the UPS, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, but uh, Robert Kreiger uh, uh, sent a question in asking the following, which is kind of interesting, and I'm not sure we'll we'll see what you say about it. What is UPS doing to help their customers relieve the logjam of cargo? That currently exists in Asia. Uh, I'm assuming that that's accurate, that there is, uh, the, you know, because of the supply chain backup. And actually, there are times when um, when one goes on Amazon now and you can't get something, right. which I think is, is a function of, of exactly what Robert's saying. So wh- how is UPS in the middle of that?
0: So we have a significant supply chain problem happening in the world. And if you look at the sales to inventory ratio in the United States, it's the lowest it has ever been. Retailers do not have inventory for us to deliver um, because it's jammed up. If you look at the Long Beach port, it's jammed up there. One of our customers, Tractor Supply, you may know Tractor Supply, for those of you who have farms, um, they have 50 containers in Long Beach jammed up. Um, There's jammed up is starting to happen in Savannah, Georgia, which is another long, uh, big port, as well as Los Angeles. And then, of course, if you go to China, it's jammed up too, because they're so afraid of COVID that they shut down things. In fact, you know, we fly about 180 flights out of China every week. Um, I'm having to double crew now because of COVID. There's such a risk that if a member um, is tested, they all they're vaccinated, but they, if they are if they test positive when they arrive, they get thrown into camps. I can't allow that to happen. So I'm double crewing, so the the crew never deplanes. We just flip the plane back around and come here. It's- Crazy. So there's a big supply chain uh, disruption. What are we doing to help? We are in the small package business. We're not really in the big container business. Uh, We do have a freight forwarding business. We do have an ocean freight uh, business. So we um, we can find charters to help some of our customers move goods. What we're finding is that some of the larger retailers, you may have read about this, customers of ours like Home Depot or Costco, they actually have arranged to have their own container ships so they basically are leasing or owning container ships to get their product moved uh, across. You know, one of the best jobs in the United States of America right now, one of the best jobs, best paying jobs, long haul trucking. So if you've got kids and you're like, go to work, have them drive a truck for a while because that would help move the move the, the product. It is it is a significant challenge. We, we'll help where we can, but remember, we're in the small pack. We're not really in that the, the big container business.
1: Carol, uh, uh, given uh, that you, you see some of this, though, uh, one of the things that everybody's trying to figure out is the the end of when does this return to a more normal state? Any sense of that when when kind of we 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 flush the the supply chain challenges back through and the world looks to UPS like it used to in places like Asia?
0: Um, no, no one is safe until we're all safe. We've got to get more people vaccinated, for sure, and that's why. As controversial as it may be for some of our UPSers, you know, mandating uh, vaccines is was just the right thing to do, and I think business leaders have a responsibility here. I do. We also need to make it easier for our, our folks to get vaccinated. Um, so, for example, when India flared up, we uh, stood up a a, a dosing. Um, facility, and we vaccinated every one of our Indian UPSers. Um, so I, I think we have just an obligation to make it easier for people and, and where we can uh, mandate it because no one's safe until we're all safe, and we've got to get people vaccinated.
1: Yeah, we're, we're very focused on the same thing just because the the vaccines. And you listen to the, the people who are closer to it uh, uh, around the efficacy of the, the vaccine in terms of hopefully, uh, you know, avoiding uh, uh, any kind of serious illness or, or worse. So. Um, uh, the the future, Carol. If, uh, if we look out to um, 2030 or some time frame, uh, will UPS be described as an engineering company, a delivery company, a technology company? But well, what does the UPS of 2030 uh, uh, look like, and and how do people perceive it? Because it's pieces of all of that today.
0: Yeah. So I I, I, when I think about uh, 2030 or 2031, uh, we actually have a strategy meeting next week to talk about that. But as I think about it, um, we should be the largest healthcare logistics company in the world, period, point blank. When you think about the growth opportunities there, that special supply chain uh, requirements, we can we can win in that space that you don't do that without technology. We sh- I don't want to be number three outside the United States from an integrator perspective. Don't want to be three. Why can't we be number one? You know, there's, like, there's a long road to get there, but why can't we be number one? And you can't do that with that t- technology because it's all, there's so much brokerage that happens. You've got, you have to make it, that's all being commoditized. So you've got to have the simplest experience from a brokerage perspective. And then from a small and medium-sized businesses, why can't that be, rather than 27% of our business, why can't that be 50% of our business? You can't do that with that technology because that all those sellers are selling through platforms. Think about stamps.com or Shopify or Etsy or eBay. They're all selling through platforms, so you have to have technology. So the only way we get there You know, those bold, audacious goals is to invest in the experience from a technology perspective. So, and it goes, it's much more than that. If I think about um, the the labor opportunities inside of our buildings, 88% of our sorts are automated, but the rest of the activity is done by people inside of our buildings. With robots and new technology, we can automate that inside of our business. And we're, we're going to. When I think about the number one complaint, where's my package? we've got an initiative we just kicked off called Smart Package, where every package in our company will have an RFID tag. So at any time, we know where that package is and all the scanning will be done by wearables. So as I think about it from a customer back perspective, I hope they say this is the best dog on experience I have for getting my package delivered to me. But from a, a company out perspective, I think we're a technology company, I really do.
1: Wow, I'm mean, gonna have to say that's fantastic. Uh, and 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 frankly, the the world-class technology companies have accomplished what you described. I mean, you know, younger people like dealing with Apple because it all works backwards for the customer. Uh, it all,
0: all it all works. You know, I, what I've told our CIO, I'm I'm like every application we drop from now on is got to be as simple as an iPhone, no instructions. No, you know, right? As simple as an iPhone. They're looking at me like really, and I'm like really. So.
1: What's interesting, you and I are using the same uh, metaphor. I, I use it here at, at Rockefeller because, you know, you, sure. you go to the Apple store, they give you a time, they're ready on time. You, you give them the problem, they know what they're doing. Uh, you know, the device obviously works uh, qu- quite well. And I'm not here to to push Apple. I'm just saying that that's the cu- the client experience there right. is consistent across uh, so much that it gets wrapped up in the brand. And you're, you're creating that at UPS and saying a technology company out and a great client experience back is fantastic. So, Carol, that was tremendous. Thank you so much for being here.
0: My pleasure. Thank you. Really enjoyed it.
1: The uh, a tour de force across running one of the world's biggest and most complicated companies, as well as uh, the, the incredible uh, background that that uh, that you've personally had and the, uh, the success you've had over the course of your career. So thank you to um, uh, all of our listeners. I am going to close with a quote, as I always do, uh, that I think is uh, relevant to uh, to Carol and what she's uh, accomplished. Ayn Rand, uh, the author of, uh, among other things, The Fountainhead uh, said the following quote, the question isn't who's going to let me, it's who's going to stop me. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope uh, Carol, you appreciate that. Uh, I Love think it. you're well on your way to having that impact at UPS. Uh, thank you to uh, all of our clients of Rockefeller Capital Management, our colleagues and other friends of Rockefeller for being here. With Carol Tomei, uh, all the best for the final days and weeks of summer. We look forward to seeing you all soon, and thanks again, Carol.